Okay, we're going to be in John chapter 2. I want to thank Pastor um, Cliff for, for taking over last week. It's always great to be able to hand the reins off to somebody you can trust, and so I appreciate that. We were in Michigan, and um, I went into a, a restaurant there. to, to I was going to meet some friends, and we, I was first, and so I talked to the lady that was seating folks, and I said, um, uh, I'm, I'm here waiting on some folks. And she, first thing she said to me, first person I talked to in, in Michigan, she said, you're not from around here, are you? It's like, no, I'm not. I'm not from around here. So um, we're happy to be back, and it's great. And so today we're talking about help, and we're going to be in John chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, that would be great. This is a picture of my friend Jesse. Jesse's not here today, right? Oh, um, that's good because he's a Tennessee fan, and we got beat by Tennessee yesterday. So I'm happy to not see Jesse. But um, this is a picture of Jesse and me when we went to Salt Lake City. We were in... Um, uh, this was a bookstore, but we, we hung out a lot together, and he's just super fun and always makes me smile and says funny things. And um, Jesse, um, Jesse and I went to the grocery store together one day, and we had a list that uh, we were supposed to get, and we're heading to the checkout, and Jesse looks at me and he says, I like ice cream. And it's like, well, I do too, let's go get some. So that's the kind of guy, you need a friend like that to, to, to have around. Well, um, we were at Temple Square in Salt Lake City, and, and there's a kind of upper floor, a lower floor, and there's some outside steps. And uh, we were walking up the steps together. This is one of the sweetest moments in my life, honestly. We were walking up the steps together, and um, as we're walking up, Jesse was having a little, little trouble navigating those steps, evidently. He, just, he didn't ask. He just kind of reached over and grabbed my hand, and we walked up the steps together. And it, it was sweet to me because... Um, he knew he didn't have to ask, that he could, just, he could just grab my hand and I would help him. And um, today we're talking about how we can, in figuratively speaking, we can uh, grab the Lord's hand in difficult times. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, it's hard to ask for help a lot of times. Uh, we, if we ask for help, we feel like now we're going to owe that person or we... We don't ask for help because we're afraid somebody might say no, or we don't ask for help because we're afraid they might take over and we're not going to be in charge anymore, or we're going to look weak. There's a lot of reasons why we don't ask for help. We're going to do a little quiz real quickly. Um, there's a certain gender who has more difficulty asking for help than another. Um, so let's take a, a quick poll. How many of you think that's women? Okay, all right. Barry's not bright, uh, so uh, it's all right. <laughs> Listen to this. There's a study that revealed, recent study that revealed, even in the age of GPS, so everybody that has a smartphone has directions on there. You can look at your phone, and it'll help you get where you want to be. Even in the age of the GPS, the average man drives 276 miles a year lost. That's the average man, 276 years, miles a year. Um, so what I was going to do is I was going to have us all turn to one another and say, I need help, but that seems kind of vulnerable. So if you would turn to the person next to you and say, you need help, that that's going to be easier. You need help. Cause here's the deal. Um, dial down the sass, uh, you know, uh, you read, um, the deal with, with help is when we don't ask for help, we have an issue here, and we could ask for help and get it resolved. The problem is if we don't ask for help here, it gets worse and it leads to here. 
And so you, you don't budget well, and you, you kind of spend more than you make. And you could ask for help, but you don't. And where that leads eventually, if you don't ask for help, is it can lead to shame and bankruptcy, and it could lead to really bad places. Flirtation goes on, and you need to ask for help, but you don't ask for help, and it leads to an affair. Or you're cynical and snarky all the time, and that leads to nobody wants to even be around you anymore, and you need help. And we need help in certain situations, and idle curiosity becomes addiction. I mean, there's just, it really can get away from us. And so, today we're going to talk about this idea of asking for help, because the truth is, it takes a great deal of courage to ask for help. Some of us, we just, we just need it, and we're afraid to ask for it. And what's interesting to me is the Bible often, often, often talks about God as our helper. Look at a couple of verses here. These are just a few, it's just sampling of the many, many verses where it says things like this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 54 says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. So over and over again, we're told that God is there to help us. And the big idea for the day is, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to accept it or not, we are made to live in dependence on God. And, and whether we like it and whether we want to admit it, we constantly live in dependence on God. I I'm, I'm appreciate the fact that Chris prayed, this is Veterans Day today, and Chris prayed for uh, our military folks. You realize, don't you, that uh, we, we are incredibly blessed to live in a place where we can worship the way we please, and it costs somebody something. It costs a lot of people their lives so that we can have the freedom that we have today. I, I read just this week, uh, there was somebody, I forget where they had gone, uh, to, to a country where they don't have these freedoms, and the question that the Christian in this uh, oppressed country asked the American Christian was, so what are your prisons like? Because Christians in that country have all been to the prison. They, they couldn't even imagine that we live in a country where you don't go to prison because you're a Christian. It is an amazing thing that God allows us to live in a country like this. So today we're going to look at this story of Jesus' life, from Jesus' life, where he attends a wedding and he offers some help. So we're in John chapter 2. I'm going to read it and then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of look at it verse by verse. But let's sort of, this will give us a little overview of the entire story. You're going to kind of have the story in your heart and in your mind and then we'll break it down a little bit, okay? So listen. And you can read along if you'd like. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. That's a city in the region. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it out knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when uh, the, the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. This was the first 
of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So let's just kind of, let's look at it a little bit. There are some, uh, some principles we can apply to our life from this story. So uh, let's just look at a couple of verses and we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, um, our culture, we're called, we, we live in a Western society. And so in a Western society, there's one key figure in every wedding. I mean, there's one person that it's super important that this person is happy at the wedding, okay? Um, who? The bride. In a Western culture, the bride is the star of the show. Do you all realize, just, I just gave one of my daughters away. Got her off the payroll. It's great. Uh, just happened. You may not know this, man. You might not know this. The dress, really important. Uh, evidently. I'm like, can you not go to Walmart? Evidently, you can't. Uh, it is a big deal, the dress. It's huge. There are tears over cloth. It, it's an amazing and stupid thing. Uh, um, it just didn't fit right. It just it makes me like that. You know, it's just like one. It's that that just happens at my house. It happened at my house. It's such a big deal. I mean, oh my word. All right, so yeah, the the wedding happens, and and the you know I used to think I used to think the bridegroom was a prop, and really kind of he's a necessary evil at a wedding because this is all about the bride, and and you all anybody that's ever attended a wedding, you're sitting there, you know, you're just sitting, and all of a sudden. Um, uh, the, the pastor will say, uh, all rise, like the judge is coming, all rise, and we all turn, and the doors open, and there she comes, and it is magnificent. The music is playing, you know, and, uh, and she's walking down the aisle. You know that, and the, you know I was the father of the bride, so I had her on my arm. I forget which side; it doesn't really matter. Uh, and I'm walking her down, and everybody's looking at us. You know, it is a big deal. Now, um, not so much in an Eastern wedding. By the way, I used to, I used to think you had to have a groom. Evidently, you don't have to have a groom. Uh, look, um, this guy, this gal's name is uh, Yasmin Ellaby. Uh, she lives in Houston. And she decided when she turned 40, if she was, uh, had a boyfriend or not, she was just going to have a wedding. So she had a wedding for herself. Uh, so uh, you, you can do that, evidently. But here's what, here's what I love about the Eastern wedding. The, the, the wedding, uh, not from the East Coast, but from that era, from Jesus' time. The cool thing is the groom was the focus, and I highlighted the most important part. He would pay for everything. I'm all down with this right here. In fact, uh, I'm converting to Judaism. Uh, just. I have to give up bacon, but it's all good. Uh, no, the, this was all about the groom. The groom was the, was the center focus. It was about him. And here's how this would go down. From what we understand, the, the wedding, if, if a girl had never been married before, uh, the wedding would happen on a Wednesday. If it was her second marriage, perhaps she had been divorced and it was her second marriage, or she was a widow, the, the, the wedding would happen on a Thursday. And they would do it in the evening. They would start the wedding ceremony in the evening. And the groom would get his groomsmen, his, his boys, and they would walk through the streets with torches. 
Now think about I mean, how cool that is. Because it's a society, they don't have... Everybody's not inside watching, you know, television or playing Nintendo. Uh, they were all kind of milling around. But when you saw the torches coming down the street, you knew something big was happening. And it was almost like a parade. And the men would go and they would, they would take this, this girl, the, the bride-to-be, and they would walk back to the, the groom's house where the ceremony would take place. And it would last for two or three, sometimes five days. It would last for a long, long time. And they would party, and it would be a great time, and relatives would be there, and all that thing. And, and it, it, was, it was just this magnificent scene. Now, I've probably conducted 150 weddings in my life. And it's funny to me, but almost every time something goes wrong, um, some little something, they'll, you'll drop a ring, or uh, you know, somebody will forget a line. I mean, stuff happens. Well, when I was in Michigan last week, I was reminded of one of the, those, those weddings I'll never forget because it was, it was about this time of year. Uh, they had planned for an outdoor wedding. Anybody that's ever had an outdoor wedding, you understand this. You probably should have a rain plan because sometimes it rains, but this, they didn't have a rain plan. So the day of the wedding um, comes and the beautiful, beautiful woodsy setting, it was, it was beautiful, it was great, except it was kind of misty, raining off and on. It was, it was just, it was a yucky, wet kind of blood day. And they had built this arbor, right, this arbor. And to decorate it, they had gone to Hobby Lobby and they had gotten some fall leaves and they had decorated it. And, and it was raining so hard that I wore... I had kind of a trench coat, a raincoat with a hood. I looked like a druid. And uh, uh, I put that hood on, you know, because, I mean, it's, it's raining enough to really make you wet. So I've got my Bible up close. I should have, like, put plastic over it. But I, I have my Bible, and I'm trying to read everything. And, and the bride is here, and the groom is here, and the groom is wearing a white rented tuxedo. I know, who wears white? Uh, anyway, uh, but it, it was fashionably horrible and uh there he was and I'm, I'm looking down at my notes and i look up and he's got a stain and i thought somebody shot him i i really i'm like he, he, the daddy has done shot this boy well what happened those leaves were starting to drip so that jacket is no longer rented he owns it uh because it is full of color it's like tie-dye it was really funny but I saw that girl this, this last week, and I said, I still remember your wedding. She said, I do too. Uh, uh, so there's stuff that goes on. When Miriam and I got married, I'll never forget this either. That's a really important day, so I'm, I'm glad I can remember. Um, I was standing there. You know, grooms stand. We wait for our brides. It's a beautiful moment. You, you know, it's, it's magical. Miriam came in, and I could not tell where the dress stopped and her face started. I mean, she was so pale. And I, I, was, I thought to myself, oh, she's excited. Now I think she's probably just full of dread. But uh, uh, whatever it was, um, I was just hoping, I, I began to pray silently, Lord, help her get through the part where she says I do. Uh, that's all I cared about. Every wedding, not every, but most weddings have a little something that you remember because it didn't go exactly as planned. All right, so in this wedding, what didn't go exactly as planned was they didn't buy enough wine. They, they weren't prepared for the, the length of the wedding or, you know, who knows. And here's the deal. We kind of look at that and go, so? In a culture where honor is, is prominent, it's kind of a shame culture. So if you 
there are certain expectations of the culture, and if you didn't live up to the expectations, it, it would ruin the memory of the wedding. Whereas we look at the little mistakes and we think, well, that kind of makes it fun and we remember it. Not so much here. Because this family, there was an expectation that they were going to provide. Now get this, I read this this week. If you ran out of wine, your, your guests could sue you. Because you were a bad host. It was really a big deal. And Mary plays this prominent figure in this particular wedding. And some people have speculated it was because it was one of Jesus' brothers or sisters who were being married. But whatever. What you didn't want for your family was to... This was an insult to the community. And they would be talking about it in the community and it wouldn't have been pleasant talk. Can you believe that the, you know, the, the whoever's didn't have enough food? They didn't have enough beverage they they didn't provide like they should have for their guests and see i think mary understands this because she had been she'd been the um, the focus of conversation in the community before you you know when you're found to be with child before you're married that kind of happened back then so she understood this is called empathy she understood what it was like to be in a position where people were talking about you and it wasn't good talk. She has empathy and she goes to Jesus and she just says, they have no more wine. It's kind of an interesting comment, actually. Now, Jesus shows up and we know from reading John 1, at this point he doesn't have 12 disciples, he only has five. But Jesus and his five disciples show up and some have speculated that Mary says this to him, basically saying, we didn't know you were coming, you should leave. Now, you, we're all Southern. We get this. You know, if somebody shows up that's unexpected, we just add a little water to the soup. I mean, we can pull out a bag of crackers. I mean, we can make something happen if we need to. Well, they're accustomed to this, but they ran out. And, and some say, well, Mary was telling Jesus this because they needed to go. But that's not really, I don't think, what she wanted. Here's what I think happens. Sometimes you need a fixer, right? You need a fixer in your life. Um, I've got people I'll call. If something goes wrong, I'll call them. We, you need a fixer. So after the wedding that we had a couple of weeks ago, we had extra food. Y'all know how this goes, right? So we didn't run out. We have too much. And we took, up, uh, took it home. And one of my other daughters has a boyfriend who we like to call the vacuum. Uh, that kid, he, he, has no, he has zero body fat. His metabolism is off the charts, and he can eat. I, I've never seen anybody eat like this. It's unreal. So we'll bring a platter of food out, and we'll all take a little bit, and he'll finish it. It was great. And we said, Jeff, thank you for finishing this off. And he looked at us like we were nuts. He said, my parents have never thanked me for eating all the food at my house, but we, we, we needed a fixer, you know, and he was the fixer. We needed that guy to fix it for us. So, so Mary makes this acknowledgement really honestly it's kind of the first prayer ever prayed they have no more wine it's as if he's saying hey she's saying we have a need and we think you might be able to do something about it jesus because here's what happens we all have needs there's something that we're lack we have a lack of 
You might need to be encouraged. You, you, you're kind of, you're down a little bit. You need encouragement. Or, or, or maybe you need a, a little uh, inspiration. You, you're you're kind of uh, not inspired or you're tired or, or you need more strength or you need more patience. And, and this particular story, what I love about this is, let's go to the first point, but what I love about it is the first place you go when you need help is Jesus. And, and Mary pr- prays this little non-eloquent prayer. They have no more wine. It gives me hope because sometimes I don't know what to pray. I'm not very good sometimes. I, I kind of don't always know what to pray. And great prayers get put on plaques. You ever notice that? The, the Lord uh, is my shepherd. You see that on a plaque sometimes. Or, or sometimes you'll see uh, our Father which art in heaven on a plaque. That's a good, that's a good prayer. Uh, this is one of my favorite ones. Lord, if you won't make me thin, at least make my friends fat. Uh, that, that, on, a, on a plaque. I mean, that, that's good stuff. What you don't find ever on a plaque is they have no more wine. Maybe in Napa Valley. I don't know. But most places, that's, not gonna be, that's just not a great, eloquent prayer. It's just an honest, gut level. We have a need. And here's what I, I like about that. It doesn't matter what you say in your prayer, it's to whom you say it. See, it didn't matter what Mary actually said. She just went to somebody that was a fixer. He could fix it. And this is a super cool verse from Romans. In certain ways we are weak, but the Holy Spirit is here to help us. Again, the helper. For example, when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit prays for us in ways that cannot be put into words. It's not so much what you pray. You don't have to have all the right words. You, you just have to ask the right person. Because here's what I know about this whole story. It doesn't appear that Jesus had anything to do officially with this wedding. He wasn't going to you know, do the service. He wasn't like one of the groomsmen. He just showed up to watch. And yet Mary makes a request and Jesus does something about it. Now, Jesus' response isn't exactly what you'd expect. Woman, what has this got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, On the surface, that seems a little bit cold. But understand something. Um, Dale Bruner is a New Testament scholar. He he says this is sort of like a little bit of, you have to kind of look at this like Mary kind of nudges him and they're kind of nudging one another and it's sort of playful. It's like, she knows he's going to take care of it, and he knows he's going to take care of it, but they're kind of bantering back and forth. My mother lives in Kentucky, and every time I go back to Kentucky, she's got a couple little things for me to do, and recently, her front yard, they, they ran a new water pipe through the front yard. Oh, my word. So the dirt is all, it's all dirt, and there's no grass, and it's a big deal because she doesn't like it just being all muddy, you know. And so the other day, she said to me, um, this needs to be attended to. Now, do you all know what that means? I know what it means. So I said, I hope it gets attended to then. You know, it's like, we all know what's going to happen. Joe's going to go home and Joe's going to fix the yard. That's what's going to happen. I knew it. She knew it. We know it. But we kind of played with it a little bit. I said, well, is there any fried chicken involved in the fixing of this yard? Because that's motivating for me. You know, can, can, you, help, can you sweeten the pot a little bit? But look, she knows what's going to happen. I'm going to go home. I'm going to fix it. Because 
that's, that's, our agree, that's kind of our arrangement. Listen, I weighed 10 pounds and 11 ounces when I was born. Whatever mama wants, mama gets. I'm going to help her because I owe her big time. I'm, I'm never going to get that paid off. And that's okay. I'm happy to help her. So Mary says this little five-word, they have no more wine. This five-word little prayer. And Jesus answers it the way he answers it. It's kind of interesting. So the next little phrase that Mary says, crazy important. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, she understands he's going to take care of it. And he understands he's going to take care of it. It's not like she says, now you just take care of it. No, no. She looks at the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Because here's the point. While we're waiting for our answer to prayer, we're to do what we already know we're supposed to do. So, you're in a job and you hate it. Right? And you're praying, God, I hate this job. Lord, I, I don't like this job. Is there something else I can do? While you're at this job, you do your best. You work your hardest. You give your best. Do what you already know to do. And, and while you're waiting, you do your best. And, and that's the whole point. Do what you already know to do. So she says to them, do what he tells you to do. Now look what happens. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jewish Jews for ceremonial washing. So as a Jew, before you ate, you had to wash your hands. And before you did other things, you had to wash your hands. So they'd have these big kind of jugs, and, and you'd pull the water out, and you'd wash your hands. And they were there because that's a big part of that culture. So they were there. They held 20 to 30 gallons. So they're pretty big. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And look what happens next. Then he told the servants, now draw some out, take it to the master of the, of the banquet. Now here, here's what's amazing. I don't want us to miss this. They fill the water jugs. Jesus doesn't pray over them. He doesn't put his hands on the jugs. He doesn't uh, walk on the jugs. You know, He, he doesn't uh, call down fire from heaven on these water jugs. He doesn't do any of this. He, he just has them put water in there, and the next thing you know, they dip this liquid out, and they take it to the, to the ceremony of the banquet, this kind of master of the banquet, and he drinks it, and it, his, from, from the time they put water in it until the time they take it, somewhere in there, Jesus has turned the water into wine, and it wasn't some magnificent, fascinating, bombastic event. It, it was kind of, it, honestly, it was just sort of unremarkable. Sometimes we think God has to do something big and amazing for it to be God. Well, well, God, in this instance, Jesus in this instance, just he just did what he does. It wasn't huge and it wasn't amazing. It is amazing, but it wasn't kind of, it wasn't a production. He just did it. Do whatever he tells you to do. Because here's what happens. Jesus is the master of making the simple special. Whether it's you or me or whoever the simple might be, he has this ability to make the simple special. Now, one more thing I want to show you. While we wait, 
We do what we already know to do, and we do what we already know to do well. Let's go back to this verse just for a second. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and so they filled them to the brim. I brought a couple of buckets. I want to just kind of show you this. Who knows how many gallons of water fit in a five-gallon bucket? Five, that's right. I had to Google that. Uh, Yes, five. Okay. Now, so this is 10 gallons right here, 10 gallons of water. What they would, they would have had these ceremonial jugs of water for washing, and, and they didn't carry the water, they didn't carry the, the jug and get the water in it. They would take smaller containers and they would, they would fill the, the buckets, the big jars, with, with smaller containers of water. They would have walked back and forth. If they had Fitbit, you know, they would be walking a lot of steps that day. Now, honestly, they, um, they didn't have to fill it to the brim. Jesus didn't say fill it to the brim, he just said fill them. They could have left them not quite full. They could have, you know, that wasn't the order. They did more than they were told to do. This is, if you're going to do what God tells you to do, you might as well do it to the brim, right? You might as well do it really, really well. And so these guys did it really, really well. They obeyed him with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul and all their strength. I heard somebody say one time, if you bring... Got a thimble, he'll fill the thimble. If you bring him a bucket, he'll fill the bucket. Ours is a God of excess. Look at what it says. Now, all glory to God. By the way, next week we're talking about wow. That's our word, wow. And we're going to look at the word glory a little bit. So this kind of helps me uh, promo that just for a second. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us to what? To accomplish infinitely more. He, we might have this idea of what he's going to do. He could do more than we ever even imagined. You see, when we do what we know we're supposed to do, and when we do it to our very best, when we encourage somebody, if you're going to encourage somebody, encourage somebody fully. If you're going to give an honest day's work, do the very best you can. If you're going to serve somebody, serve them well. If you're going to be generous, be extravagantly generous. Do what you're going to do and do it well. I want you to think about something just for a second. There's Jesus and five disciples. Five plus one is new math, six. Yes, all right, great. Now, do you remember how many of those ceremonial water jugs there were? Six, right, okay. So as far as we know, they didn't bring wedding gifts. So now Jesus is going to provide. And he always goes over and above. So he makes this water into wine. And according to the master of ceremonies, it wasn't, it wasn't ripple, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the wine you get out of a carton, right? Some of y'all know that. Okay. Uh, it was the good stuff. So I'm not a, I'm not a whiner. I mean, I'm not a wino. I, I don't know anything about wine. Um, so I, I, I Googled it. I, I went on uh, Walmart.com. And uh, that's funny. I, I tell you, I, neither audience got that. That's, I would have gone to, I went to wine.com or something. Okay. Now, a really, really, really good bottle of wine. It, it's French. It's called Chateau du Rensemblant. From vintage 1976. Say it with me. Chateau du 1976. Um, that costs $425 a bottle. Yeah, none of us. Uh, anyway. Now, if you have 
six of these ceremonial water jugs at what does it say, 20 or 30 gallons a piece. Let's, let's say it's, it's, it's uh, we'll go in the middle, it's 150 gallons. 150 gallons would be about 788 bottles of Chateau Laurent Sauron, 1976. If you do the math, and you don't have to do, I mean, you can get your calculator out if you want to, it, 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 it's over $300,000. You think about the gift that Jesus gave those people. Now, Here's what's super interesting to me. The master of ceremonies has no idea where this wine comes from. And he pulls, he pulls the bridegroom aside. Can you imagine that conversation? Because the bridegroom, who pays for everything? The bridegroom. Do you think the bridegroom knows he's out of wine? Yes. All right, so the master of ceremonies calls him over. Think about that. Just think about that. So... This, in my mind, I see the bridegroom coming over like this. Womp, 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 yeah. The walk of shame. Because you're expecting the guy to say, you cheap chump. I mean, where is, there's no more wine. What are we going to do? I need some, I need some, I need some green, bud. So he's walking over there, you know, all sad. And, and, the, and the, the master of ceremony says, dude, this, this wine is... Amazing. Now, the master of ceremonies has no idea where this came from. The bridegroom sure doesn't know where it came from. You want to know who knows where it came from? The servants. The, the people who aren't even important enough to be invited to the wedding. There are really important people in this wedding, and they're not them. Yet they know what happened. They're the ones who got to experience the miracle. And can you imagine going home that night? You're one of the servants, and you go home, and you sit down for your, your meal, and your wife says to you, did anything happen today? Unusual? Did anything unusual happen today? And you say, oh, my word. There's this guy named Jesus. And he, we pour this water into a, a ceremonial Big water jug. You know those. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they, they, we filled it to the brim because we wanted to make sure we did our best. And then he tells us to dip some out and take it over to the, to the guy. And I'm thinking it's still water. And the guy drinks it and it's the best wine he's ever had. I've never seen anything like it. we got to follow this guy on Facebook. That Jesus guy, he's amazing. What's his Twitter handle? I want to get on that because I want to watch him. Because he can do amazing things. Can you imagine... I suspect if you see Jesus turn water to wine, you're probably going to be a believer, which is exactly what happened. I used to think this was kind of a frivolous, frivolous miracle. I mean, these people are wealthy enough to have servants. They can probably fork over some money for some more wine. Jesus took five loaves and two fish and he fed thousands. That's a, that's, that's a, cool, that's a cool miracle. He... he Healed a guy born blind. Super cool miracle. God's never seen. All of a sudden he sees. That's super cool. I used to think it was kind of frivolous. Here, here's, here's the point. Mary was just hoping to avert disaster. Can you do a little something? Now look at the last verse. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed, there's our word for next week, his glory. And his disciples believed. 
And I bet the servants believed. And once they found out, maybe the master of ceremonies believed. See, here's the deal. Whether we like to admit it or not, we all need help. And maybe, again, I don't know what help you need. Because the help I need is going to be different than the help you need, likely. It's likely. The good news for us today is you, you don't have to know how to pray right. You don't have to know. All you have to do is have a relationship with Jesus. Now, he doesn't always answer it the way we think he ought to. But he always answers it the right way. And every week we've been, we've been ending with a question. Today the question is, is there anything you need to ask God to help you with right now? Because in a room with this many people, there's probably some folks who have a need. The good news is you have somebody you can go to. His name is Jesus. And while you're waiting for his answer, you can do what you already know to do. And you can do what you already know to do really, really well. And Jesus has this amazing ability. He's the only one who can to make something simple, something special. Father, we thank you for this event that happened in Jesus' life. And we look at it today and it's amazing to us that Jesus can do abundantly more than we can ask or even imagine. We thank you for loving us through difficult times. And even though some of us today are walking through the valley of the shadow, we're experiencing difficulty. Today we know that we can ask you to help us and you will. We pray, God, that you would help us that you would do what you called us to do, that we would be willing and able to do everything you called us to do and that we could do it well while we wait. We love you. We pray that we would honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.